0: Who thought of this? It was your idea.
1: Oh fuck! Right, you ready? Yes.
0: Brilliant. Who the bloody hell's that? What age. Oh, Anthony. How are you? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do. Thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, he it'll fine. be fine. yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time I'm going to put
1: my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. should indeed. You're listening to The Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter ninety-seven of the Corona Diaries, <laughs> and we've only gone and done it, and we're live. And there are there's just a load of people in the room. In fact, if you want to turn your mics on, and scream and shout. Feel free to do it. Knock yourselves out for ten seconds.
2: Yay! 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 Number two, and number two, oh. number two.
1: <laughs> what we're going to try and do. What we are doing. We've got a, a, it's a, an hour before it's dark um, special we've we've got questions here coming in from patrons of the podcast and we've selected a load of people to come and ask their questions live it's friday night it's quarter past eight there's a couple of hundred people tuned in to watch to give us a bit of support and essentially we're going to kick off and see how we get on but before we do that let's uh, let's say hello to
0: to h how are you h you all right very well thank you yes Yes, I'm lovely. I'm in the charts. I was going to say, do you want to share your news? Um, yeah, well, we're in all sorts of places. We're, we're, at, we're at number two in the UK main chart. We're at number one in the rock and metal chart. We're at number one in the independent record store chart. We're at number two in Germany in the album chart. And we're at number two in Holland. In the album chart all at once. No wonder I'm tired. That is quite astonishing. You were saying to me that
1: the last, was it clutching? Was the last time, the only time the band hit number two?
0: Um, I don't know if they ever, I mean, I don't know anything about them, darling. I, I right, was. Okay, yeah, it, I'm asking the wrong man. Um, no, I, I, I don't know what they did before. They, they I mean, they, they certainly seemed to get by before me. Um, but I, I do know that this is the highest chart position we've had as a band since Clutching at Straws in 87. Uh, I don't know where that was, whether that was a, a one or a two. It was probably number one. I mean, they used to do really well, didn't they? But I have no idea. Um, but in Germany and Holland, the band has never had a number two in the album charts in any incarnation. So this this is as high as the band has ever been, which after 40 years is pretty astounding, really. Now that's a slow burn. I don't know if anybody's mentioned it, though. It's it's not a bad record. Well, everybody has, which has been lovely, you know, because the, the response has been completely stellar, um, almost without exception. I mean, there's always some miserable bloody idiot who... Feels the need to elevate himself by criticising my work, uh, but um, it's always a bloke as well. To be fair, it's always a bloke. <laughs> uh, but um, no, I mean for the most part, critics, music biz folk, the kind of people who normally wouldn't know, um, have, all, have all done backflips, uh, and 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 just about everybody who's heard it. I've had tsunamis of messages from people who, who've, who are just loving it, you know, saying, saying it's the best record we've made in a very, very long time, um, and some saying it's the best record we've ever made. So that's wonderful, mm. but I, I think, I think they need to give it time, and then maybe they'll go off it. Is, is that what you're banking on? <laughs> <laughs> Right, let's get started. I can't started. cover the success, darling. It's been
1: almost four hours. Oh, we're not going to be 10 on Monday morning, are we? I'm not going to get you now, am I? I have to go through your agent. Look at that. It was full that, at six o'clock. Right, let's get started. So for those who don't know, we put, out, um, we put out a plea a couple of weeks ago and said, look, when you've heard the album, um, can you send a question in about the album? And you've got literally a couple of days to do it, and then we'll organise some kind of way of people asking the questions directly to to H. And loads of people sent questions in. Uh, it's also one of the reasons why you know being a patron of the podcast is a good idea. Um, and we whittle the questions down, um, and we and we've invited the people who who put questions forward um to join us and everybody was able to make it, which is great. So thanks everybody for turning up. Um, and we'll start by letting uh letting the questionnaires put those questions directly. So we're going to start with Andy Field. And there's a reason why I'm coming to Andy first. Um, and that's because um Andy supplied probably the best material I've ever had doing T C D because he supplied the Are Christmas you Carol. Keep talking about question. drugs,
0: Anthony again. No,
1: no. No. no He's, just checking. Andy supplied the Christmas Carol question. Oh. Uh, that I posed during the show at Oxford. That
0: caused all sorts of trouble there.
1: Um, so so I, think, I think we just need... There's, there's a, a moment there of we're not worthy, Andy. Um, so, I'm, I, you know, hence the reason I'm coming to you first. So I'm going to pass over to you and, and feel free to, uh, to, to go with your question.
3: Thanks. Um, obviously, I'm thinking of changing to my career to become a full-time question poser. Uh, so my question... Uh, was inspired by the lyric in Care that goes, these are the days that will flash before our eyes at the end. These are the moments burned into the sacred places of our hearts. So my question is, starts off a little bit bleak, I'll be honest, but, you know, let's roll with it. It's an hour before it's dark and your end is near, H. A moment with each member of Merillion flashes before your eyes. A moment burned into the sacred places in your heart. Tell us for each bandmate what that moment is
0: ooh I, I i've seen this question and i've given it a bit of thought probably not quite enough but um i don't know i mean, I mean the 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 first one that springs to mind is being on a tour bus at a certain hour of the morning um, i don't know 7 or 8 a.m. uh and Mosley coming down the stairs looking like the undead um, and making me a cup of coffee, which he usually does. And um, that says a lot about him and the kind of person he is. And um, so, yeah, that's that's Ian. Um, and that's the kind of thing he does. He's always looked after me when I've been in tight spots. And God knows I've backed myself into a few, um, and he's always bailed bailed me out when I've been in crisis. So, but I think the simple act of coming down the stairs, looking and obviously feeling like death, and still having time to make make uh, the singer a, a cup of coffee uh, speaks volumes. So I'd probably I'd probably think of that with him, um, Pete. Um, I would probably think of a moment at the Albert Hall, I think it was the Albert Hall, during the introduction to Estonia uh, when we were working with the, the, the quartet and the, the French horn and the flute. And then Mike Mike arranged a little intro to Estonia um, be- before the main guitar kicks in, which was entirely uh, orchestral, and I was able, I was able to stop at that moment and turn around, and I think I might have thrown an arm around Pete, and the two of us stood with our backs to the audience and just listened and luxuriated in that moment, and it was really exquisite. Um, so I'd probably go to that one uh mark kelly arrived completely unexpectedly and and without i mean i've never really spoken to him about it to be honest but he arrived completely unexpectedly up in doncaster at my mother's funeral um to pay his respects. so it would probably be that um rather's Rothers is hard. Um, Rothers is very self-contained. Um, he's very generous in his own way, but he's... I'm, try, I'm trying to locate one. I mean, I guess a good one would be uh, would when he blew that Easter solo. You know, I, I just joined the band and we were in a room down in Brighton and I was showing them the song because it was something I'd already written. And um I'd got as far as I'd got as far I've got a piano here. So I'll explain where I'd got as far as. Come on, work. You know, I'd got as far as the you know, I'd had all of the uh Uh, and then I'd got the. And in and amongst all of that, um, I was showing the bandit in the room, and Steve just blew, blew that solo on the spot. And we never changed a note of it. And unfortunately, we were recording at the time, uh, we, we'd got a, a little four track or something running. And uh, that blew my mind, and I said, we, we mustn't change a note of that. You must find out what you did, and you must play it forever. And he did, and he has. So that might be the moment. Thanks, Andy. Great question. A uh, little bit of feedback from the chat,
1: only because it's amused me. Um, Zoom <coughs> user, um, which is a great name, actually, for somebody who's on a platform like this. Uh, I'm assuming Zoom's his first name. Uh, can you get Ian to sign the certificate for my ultimate edition? His signature is missing.
0: Well, I think the thing to do, if, if you can stand to live without it, is to send it back to Racket and he'll sign it and send it back to you. Um, that's probably the quickest way of sorting that out. Where are you in the world, Zoom user?
1: Don't know as yet. We'll find out. Well, I'll come back to you on that one. Oh, bloody hell. It's Simon Clegg and he's in Huddersfield i'll get it off you simon
0: oh yeah anthony i'll I'll sign it if you you like swing by from heckman do i can sort that out for you
1: yeah i'll sign it for you not a problem right um let's let's go to let's go to will next are you you ready for us
0: will in leicester hello hello are you all right will you're looking very uh what's the word somber you're looking somber are you all right? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Well, good. I'll stop worrying about you in that case. I was just a bit worried about you. I do think
3: that it's the first time I've spoken to you sober, whilst I've been sober, I may add. Steady on. Congratulations on the album. Loving it. Um, <laughs> question. I think I ended up asking about three, I think, in the end, but I think the main one was about Sierra Leone. And so the question, if I remember correctly, was, um, obviously it's about the diamond, but in terms of the song... it is the metaphor in terms... It seems like a love song to me. Part of it seems like a bit of a love song. And you mentioned, I mean, without looking at the lyrics and stuff, it appears, is the diamond about Lynetta and obviously the Sierra Leone. I know you said in interviews and stuff it was a story about Sierra Leone and the diamond, but it seems to me like there's a bit of a love sort of song in there.
0: Mm, I think that's quite uh, a perceptive of you, you you romantic fool, you um a word pink for the occasion. <laughs> <laughs> um, no I, I gee was it it wasn't it wasn't originally oh if I knew where it had come from in the first place that'd be an easy question to answer because it, it was one of those things that arrived in my bones uh one morning. And just started cooking, uh, so it represents an awful lot at once. It represents, um, I guess, m- my own suspicion of 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 capitalism and 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 of material wealth. It represents um, a kind of a. a a romantic fascination i have with huge diamonds we w- we went to see the crown jewels a couple of years ago in the in the um what's it called that thing tower the tower of london um where the crown jewels are and i'd never been and um so we went and it was really, I would advise you to do it if you've never done it. It's a really good, if, if you can do it, if you're anywhere near London. Um, it's a good day out. And we went and we saw the crown jewels. And then I, I heard the whole story about that big diamond that they found in South Africa. And it's a great story because those two monster diamonds that the Queen's got were, were both part of one even bigger diamond that they cut into, into two or more pieces. Uh, and they're still enormous. Um, so Christ alone knows what it looked like when it came out the ground. It must have been you know bigger than this bottle. Um, and um what they did was the, the um the company that found it they um these two guys put it in a saddlebag and they took a train from Johannesburg or somewhere like that to Antwerp because that's where all of the diamond, the genius diamond cutters were and they couldn't trust anybody else to touch it. Um, and when they got there, it was already there because they just put it in the post. Because the, the one they traveled with was a decoy because it was so priceless that they thought well if we go on the train everyone'll th- everyone'll know we've got the diamond which means they won't look anywhere else i mean we might get mugged but what if we do get mugged that's not it so when they got to antwerp they put the thing in the post and then it, it went from there and it was cut and it ended up, one part of it ended up in the Queen's scepter, which is this enormous bloody diamond. And then the, the other one in, ended up in the, in one of the crowns. And I found that fascinating and beautiful. Um, and that, I think that stuck with me a bit. And I think that might have been where what started it all off. And obviously I was... Aware of the fact that in in certain parts of Africa, people just dig little holes and go down and dig down, you know, take take their lives in their hands and go down these holes looking for whatever they might find, because uh, they're extremely poor and and who knows they might find they might find a bit of gold or they might find a precious stone. And I was thinking about rubbish dumps and kids playing on rubbish dumps and all of that. Um, so this this side this thing just formed in my mind this this little story about a man who digs down under a rubbish dump massive rubbish dump the size of a town a rubbish town um on the edge of the city and he finds a diamond as big as his hand and having found it he refuses to sell it because it means more to him to own it and then to, to, to to hang on to that amazing, magical thing that's happened to him means more to him than the money ever could, even though he's a very poor man. And also, for the first time in his life, he has uh, the luxury of being able to exercise his own free will, which he never has previously because he's been poor and people have always pushed him around, told him what to do. Uh And so he's lying in the white sand. Sierra Leone is famous for its white sandy beaches. Um, He's lying in the sand and he's looking at the sunlight through this diamond. And Nobody knows it's a diamond. They just think he's a man looking through a piece of glass at the sunlight. And he's listening to the children playing. Um, And that was really what I had. And I I took it. I took it from there, but later on in the album, when we were wrapping up care, it occurred to me that when you're contemplating your own mortality, which is what care is all about, uh, when we were working on that song, it wasn't called care. It was called the ultimate death song. That was the working <laughs> title. Um. And we go and we say to Mike, "How's the ultimate death song coming along, then, Mike?" Because we we had the beginning of it. We had maintenance drugs, which again was inspired by something else. It was inspired by a friend of mine who'd, who'd done a lot of chemo um, in Mexico City. Uh, and then the end was inspired, of course, by the by Peter Barber painting that mural on the war wall in Manchester. I saw a photograph of that, and it just wiped me out. And I, I almost wrote those words on the spot, having seen the photograph. Um, and we had the beginning and the end, and we didn't know, we didn't know how we would join them together. And then um, either I found or Mike found a, uh, a jam where I was singing those words, these are the days that passed before our eyes in the end, which was a love flash before our eyes. It was a love song. Um And so I'm imagining this guy contemplating his very near, you know, exit from the world and thinking about the people who've loved him and wanting to let them know. Um, And so then it occurred to me that that I could bring the diamond back in in human form. Um, And so, in a way, you're right. In a way, you're right. Maybe that's where I was going with it before I even knew that's where I was going with it. Um, I was thinking of the diamond as a metaphor for all kinds of things, as a metaphor for free will and freedom. And, um, and of course, uh, for, for something utterly priceless, which is what, what a person who loves you is. Uh, So is that a kind of an answer? Yeah, it's good.
3: Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely my favourite on the album, I think. I love it. It's absolutely brilliant.
0: I'm so pleased that that, that's had the kind of response it's had because I wondered, probably just because we were rehearsing it, we've been rehearsing all these up in the studio and Sierra Leone was sounding dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was the beginning to wonder if it had all been a huge mistake, so, so it's been great to hear people come back and go, "Oh man, that track Sierra Leone is something big because it's sort of it's put it back in a high place in, in, in my mind and the, the free
3: tam, the Freetown section of it is so melodic as well. I love it it's good and great in the car it's good in the car yeah, it's brilliant congratulations. In this week at number two, (laughs) yeah. Congratulations and cheers, cheers everybody.
0: In this week at number two, yeah.
1: Um, Congratulations, thank you. Thank, thanks, Will. Um, Cheers, I'm just coughing now. Apologies for that. Cheers, Will. That's a good question. Um, let's go to Mark
4: Schindler. Marky, are you ready? I am indeed. Here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So I'm not drinking yet because it's only three o'clock in the afternoon. Very, very. Uh, what's the word? Commendable. Thank you. Thank you. So my question was related to more of the business aspect of of this particular record. And um, I know you did the crowdsourcing on interactophobia, which was a great idea, I thought. And in your last podcast, you had mentioned you were doing a load of interviews. Either the media was pushing the label or the label was pushing the media. And I was just curious why you guys went the label route this time instead of the do DIY model.
0: Oh, I see. Well, um, we didn't, but we did. So even way back on anarachnophobia, what what the the crowdfunding idea, which incidentally um, although we invented it, um, it wasn't really a moment of genius on our part. It, it was dropped into our lap by, uh, oh, I think not may maybe on the screen, by a couple of Jeffs in, uh, in, in the US of A, and all credit and kudos must go to them for, for, for really, I don't know if it was an idea or an act of faith. It was probably just an act of faith that then um, we got hold of and being cynical, hard-nosed business types turned into a business model. Um, but um, it was, um, I've got to say kudos to Jeff, who's in my top right-hand corner, Jeff Pelletier, the lovely Jeff Pelletier who's looking well and, you know, and mature and a bit swarthy. Um, anyway, um where was I? So, yes, to answer your question, we we crowdfunded Anarachnophobia, but having crowdfunded it, we then toddled off to EMI Records and said, hey, remember us? Um, we've got this album here that um, is complete and finished, and would you be interested in releasing it? Um, because it's kind of free money, really, and... Um, they said, oh, yes, that would be lovely. And we said, well, as a catch, you know, we, you can't have the first 15,000 copies because we've already sold those and we will manufacture those ourselves. You can have the remainder. And it didn't take them very long to do some sums and, say, and realize that the remainder was still a, a whole shitload of money. And so they, they then agreed to put it out. And in doing, in doing it that way around, we, we retained the rights to the music, which we still own, um, but we had a major record label putting it into retail. Um, we've done exactly the same thing as we did with Anarachnophobia with this album. We, we've crowdfunded it. We've used that money to write and record and manufacture it, um, or, or certainly to manufacture the initial run. And then we've gone to a label, which we, we, we've actually had a relationship with for the last few albums called Ear Music, which is a label in Hamburg in Germany. And they are responsible for, for physically manufacturing it and getting it into the shops. So in that sense, nothing has changed. It might have appeared that we've, we've gone another route, but it's actually the same as we've, we've always been in.
4: Is the label helping you with the promotion then as well of lining up interviews? and?
0: Yes, they're entirely responsible for that, and they've been great. They've been working my tail off now for about a month, and that's why I was late to this meeting.
4: And why do you reckon that uh, you've had such good charge success on this particular release when you've followed kind of the same model? Is it because the reporting aspects have changed over the years and the industry is completely different now since interagmophobia? Uh,
0: I've been in the music business now for about 45 years and I have no more clue how it works than the day I started. It's an impossible, unfathomable thing. It's like a piece of magic under a black sheet. Nobody knows anything uh, and I've not learned anything in all the time I've done it. And so if I knew... Why this album was charted at number two, then all the others would have. <laughs> but, but I didn't. So I've, I haven't got a clue, man. It's incredible. Um, I just don't understand it, but I'm grateful for it. Maybe it's just because there's a buzz, perhaps, or maybe there's a zeitgeist, or maybe there are waves in space that just have thrown it
4: that way. Perhaps it's all of those. Well, thank you for taking my question and congratulations on the success. Love the record. My favorite song is "Crow and Nightingale." Just if anyone cares.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. That's See Steve you Rothery's Montreal. favorite.
4: See you in Montreal.
0: I look forward to it. Don't forget to wave or throw <laughs> something.
4: Certainly will. Thank you, Steve.
0: Thanks, Mark. Um,
1: we we might as well we might as well go to Julie and Jeff next, as Jeff has has just been alluded to. Uh, in the last comment so uh
0: oh i haven't been alluded to for ages
2: (laughs) first of all thank you both this is a really great opportunity and and Ant, what a job you get to do this every monday it's fantastic look
0: we make it we it's work isn't it anthony you you wouldn't believe
1: you wouldn't believe the effort
2: yes Yes. Well, it's the, it's the
1: equivalent to Tommy Cooper. Tommy Cooper just made it all look so easy. Yes, exactly.
2: Well, on behalf of so many purples, although no one gave me permission to talk for them, I will. Uh, thank you so much because you've made the last two years so enjoyable and something to look forward to. Um, so my, my question was a silly one, H, and I was so shocked that you picked it. Um so I, I mentioned that I love words and I love phrases and songs, especially if I don't know what they mean. And I go back to when I was in junior high and synchronicity by the police came out and I had no idea what half of those lyrics meant. So I made it I you know, I made myself look up everything and learn it and then with Merillian's music, it's a constant learning.
0: Um, There's a blue whale beached by a spring tide. There. There's a butterfly trapped in a spider's web. <laughs> Wonderful.
2: Yeah, yeah, like that doesn't suck, which, you know. So, um, and so back with um, Byzantine excuses was one that I had never heard of, and now I just, oh, I just love it. So in care, which I happen to think is the best song on the album, and is just. I haven't gotten through it without crying yet, but um, you mentioned, and I hope I pronounce it right, and um, Dohan. So I I looked it up on the interwebs. Uh, It's the Irish word for either world or mighty or ruler. So can you talk a little about the meaning of that word and how it relates to the song?
0: Yeah, it's pronounced Andohan. It's a Celtic word. And uh, what I was trying to get at, was that was was that we're entirely part of uh ruled by and and of the planet and when it's gone it's going to take us with it and and it should be our first imperative to look after it uh, this one whether you like it or not when it's gone it's going to take you with it and dohan when it's gone it's going to take you with it so i was I was coming back to the planet, really, and the world felt a bit clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> so I went searching for something that that would would feel like a greater thing and 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 i I found that I found that Celtic word online, and I thought, "Oh, that's beautiful, I'm having that yeah. um and Dave Megan would approve as well so. Always, always thinking of Dave a little bit. Uh,
1: thanks, Julie. Um, let's go to Henrik next. Henrik, are you are you about ready?
5: Yeah, I'm. A, I'm a, as ready as I can get. <laughs> um, uh, my question, H, was uh, actually about the recording process of the album. Album. Uh, I was thinking about how was how was the songs put together. Uh, was like you know was. Ian first out with the drums, and then Pete, and so on. Um, I was also thinking about, I guess, that your vocals perhaps came came last <laughs> in this process. Or and the follow up question to that is, of course, that was this uh, was the process, the recording process of this album different from, for example, Fear or or other previous albums through the years. Not
0: different. much, not much different. Uh, they've all been the same. Uh, in the sense that we 've always written by jamming the five of us together, so in that sense, nothing comes first um, it all comes c- crashing through at once, um, and then it all gets discarded and thrown away because it 's all rubbish, uh, but every now and again we have a we have a a good accident. Um, we record everything we do. So, so when, we, when we're writing, we turn up every day at a certain time, the crack of one in the afternoon sometimes, and um, we jam. We plug, we plug in. We make a noise. I'm sitting on the microphone. I've got my laptop uh, in front of me with as many words as I can fit on the screen at once and i'm listening to the band playing and i'm listening to what's happening and how the textures are moving um quite often quite often mark starts it or Ian will start it he'll just he'll just start it with one right symbol or something he'll, he'll 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 hit time and someone'll join in with him and then someone else will join in with that and someone else will join in with that and um or, you know, or Rothers will start with something and, and everyone will listen and weave something around what he's doing. And while all that's going on, I'm listening to all of it and I'm trying to feel what it, where it takes me. You know, what does this feel like? And what, wh- which of these words could live with it? And so then I'm going looking um, for the words that I have and then I'm singing them on in real time. Um, and it's all being recorded and that poor bastard Mike Hunter then has to listen to it all at some point and it goes on for hours and hours and hours and um, I don't mean in a day because we learn very quickly as a result of working this way we learn over the years that if it hasn't happened in the first 20 minutes it isn't happening and we can jam for another four hours it's all going in the bin. So that's given us a very good reason to work very short days. Uh, and so we jam for about 20 minutes, half an hour tops. And then, and then we go, right, same time tomorrow, I see you. Everybody jumps into their cars. And it takes me longer to drive to the studio than I'm actually there. <laughs> um, but that's the most efficient way of working, if you can call it work. Well, they can't call it work because they just twat about. It's work for me because I'm, I'm, the, um, I'm the poor soul tasked with, with turning, turning what is just four blokes having a good time into something meaningful. Um, so in that sense, certainly at that stage, all the pressure is on me and I hate writing for that reason because it's a really daunting prospect. When we came to work on this album at the beginning, Mike sat us all down and said, before you all get carried away, I want you to know that nothing's going on this album unless it, w- it could go on fear and stand right next to everything on fear and be as good. So that was the, uh, that, that was the bar that we had to jump over and that was a pretty daunting bar because I was quite pleased with fear um, but that was the bar we were heading for, and so uh I did feel under immense pressure to to create something i don't know extraordinary if if what would be the word i don't know what the word is but but something that could live up to that um which puts. Puts me under all that pressure at that point in the process, because everybody else is just twatting about having a good time. Do you know what music is without singing? Waffle. Um, I've often said to them, they go a bit quiet, you know, when I say things like that to them, but but I do. Um, and, um, And so where am I going? So to to answer your question, nothing's really first. Everything's first. Um, You could argue perhaps that the words are first, because if the words weren't on the screen, I wouldn't have anywhere to go during the jam sessions. But having said that, sometimes I've got complete what could look like finished lyrics on the screen. I've got poems, you know, that that do that are uh, standalone kind of things and would work that, that that some, some that I might've had for quite a while and we've never found a good musical home for them. And then sometimes I've just got a handful of words or or a stream of consciousness. You know, when the band were jamming, uh, jamming that jam that became reprogram the gene, um, It just took me to a place. So I started saying, I don't want to be a boy. I don't want to be a girl. I want to be this. I want to be that. You know, I don't want to be that. I want to be this. I want to be clever. No pain whatsoever. I want to be invincible. I want some peace of mind. You know, so I was just throwing those down in real time. Even I wasn't even I hadn't even written those. I was just throwing them out there. And the whole Dr. Frankenstein and the disembodied brain in a box (laughs) Uh, was just covered with just doing that, you know, while I was singing. I hadn't given that a great deal of thought. It wasn't meant to be some grand statement. It was about, you know, how people take cocaine and feel like they're going to live forever. Has anyone ever had that feeling? Uh, Anyway, That's a feeling that I'm told can happen, and I was trying to channel that. I was trying to channel that feeling of invincibility to start with, and then, uh, then it sort of started to swing into you know the don't want to be food for the trees. And I've been listening to Greta T, and I got onto the world. I got onto the planet, and and really, I, I guess I was swinging the other way against uh, away from the the folly of of the feeling of invincibility to the fact that if if we haven't got the planet, we're we're fucked. So mm-hmm. you can't be invincible unless you return to being at one with nature. You can't be invincible in a hummer. You can't be invincible with a million pounds. You can only be invincible if you can eat and you can breathe You know, all the things that you won't be able to do if you've screwed the earth. So I I kept coming back, you know, whatever, whatever I tried to start out saying, I kind of end up swinging back the other way. Um, But they're they're all done in, in real time. So sometimes you get really lucky or you have a you have a day where you're touched by fate or the great fairy in the sky and. And you, you, you'll you have like 10 minutes of something that's just fantastic. Uh, and that'll end up on the album, you know, because it's being recorded. And that moment in care, these are the days that flash before our eyes and everything that Mosley's doing, all those drums that don't make any sense at all and yet are perfect. Um, that was all a gem, you know, and he couldn't do it again. And um, so it's taken him about three months to learn how to do it again. Now that he knows he's going to have to play it and it doesn't make any sense. So it's almost impossible to remember. Uh, so that's been quite a task for Ian because all of those elements are, are free and they're floating and they don't make any sense. And I'm just singing straight through all of it. Um, so sometimes you get lucky and you and you, you, you can get a whole five or six minutes of music that's going to end up on the album. But most of the time, you're lucky for five seconds out of a week um, that ends up getting through. And without, my, without the genius that is Mike Hunter, um, none of those things would be possible um, because we'd have to do it ourselves. And I can't begin to imagine doing that. I'd go out of my mind. And we'd end up coming to blows, I think. As well, these days we do need somebody else to, t- you know, you need someone that tells everybody else to shut up, and this is right, you know. Because in art, nothing is ever right. So if you put five guys in a room and you know what is right, they're never going to. We never agree on anything, <laughs> um, and so we need, we need a, we need somebody we can trust who'll who, who go. I'm right about this. You're wrong. Sit down. Shut up. Trust me. Um, and you, that, it, it's quite hard to find someone who people like us will trust to that degree. But but we do trust Mike. And you really
5: did a fantastic album. Uh, I was so grateful, and I also have to agree with uh, Julie actually that. Uh, Care is uh, my favorite uh, tune also on the album. But uh, it's hard to pick a tune. It's like picking your favorite child. It's not, it's not that easy. They're,
0: they're quite different to each other, aren't they? Yeah. Um, um, the, the, the songs on the And yet at the same time, in a weird way, it all sounds like one song. You know, it, it feels like a thing. It's got a... There were a couple of other songs we had in the pot that were good things, that we put on the shelf because we just didn't feel that they belonged with that body of work. So it wasn't because they were worse or we weren't excited about it. It was a song um, that I was really excited about that we just got moved out because I had I had to agree that, that uh, it didn't belong there. It didn't belong with that body of work. And So we've tried to give this album an overall oneness even though the individual parts are very very different to one another yeah well thank you for for granting
5: my question looking forward to the weekend here in stockholm at circus so uh,
1: i'll see you there me too thank you uh thanks henry Uh, we'll we'll wrap it up there for 97 but don't go anywhere because we're going to be starting 98 literally anytime soon but uh thanks to all who's, who's posed questions so far um we've still got andy paul guy uh richard jackie and jockin to go so we'll we'll cover those in in the next uh, chapter uh if you're listening to this we'll see you next week if you're involved in this we'll be back in about 30 seconds